A plug for the PA History Society. Put your hands up if you've ever gone to the PA History Society website. Dick Hall has not done that yet. <laughs> PAHX.org. PAHX.org. Just click on that and a whole world of PA history will open before you. There's several of us now who are old enough to be trustees of this organization. Tom Pym is one, Ruth Balwig is another, I am another, Anne is another. And so we are having a great old time doing a lot of what we just did today, looking back at the early days. But we would like your contributions and suggestions. We want to, we, you'll see biographies on this website. We want bios from you early people. So we want to hear from you. That's my first plug. The second thing, the, in terms of a sense of today, I'm reminded of how I think you have as a PAs an ideal profession. You have, in spite of all the chaos and confusion, As Anne Bliss says, to know one is to love one. That was one of her great comments about what's a PA, to know one is to love one. In spite of the confusion that was discussed and the continual evolution from one role to another, you still have, I think, the most vibrant, power-packed two years of education and therefore future of any health profession I know. It is, it's just extraordinary. And when you look at those uh, magazine surveys that Pat uh, talked about earlier today, Forbes magazine, Money magazine, PAs are behind IT only as the most popular profession. The first physician subspecialty on the list is about 17th and one or 21 and another. Who wants to go to school for four years and residency for four? and run up all that debt and to get take, to care, take care of patients when you can do that. If you really want to be clinicians, which is what you want to do, 97% of graduates are doing clinical medicine. I just think you owe yourselves a great round of applause for that. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> then the final thing I'll say that organizationally that, that's so impressive is the fact that although there has been some degree creep in this profession, a phrase that Tom Pym has uh, educated me about. You know, we started out with certificates. It's all about what you can do. It's not a, ma a matter of what your degree is. And Anne Bliss has written so much about nursing's mistakes 40 years ago to discard the diploma nurse in favor of, of credentials. At least you stopped and settled on the master's degree, which I think is a very appropriate degree for the level of skill that you have. There was an Atlanta summit two years ago that I was fortunate enough to be part of in which PA leaders talked about what should be the terminal degree for our profession. And we heard the people from physical therapy talk about their history in the last eight years. They've gone from one program in the country that grants a doctorate in PT to every program in the country. So all PT people coming out, physical therapists, are doctors of PT. The same thing in occupational therapy, the same thing in pharmacy. We're about to see nursing practice with this doctor of nursing degree come down the 
highway. We, none of us know what that means. But I think you've been very, very smart to say this is who we are, this is what we're going to do. That's what the summit decided that weekend. That's what the AAPA, PAEA went along with and validated. I think that from an organizational point of view was a brilliant move on your part. And I congratulate you for that. Thanks. Did you want to? So I'm going to just stand here to make sure it doesn't go on too long. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not as worried about Blair, actually. I'm still I getting time back from Ann. <laughs> so uh, I kind of live in a different world now in terms of policy and uh, big trends. And I thought I would share in sort of a 30,000-foot view seven megatrends that I think you might want to be. One is the quality revolution, starting with the IOM report. And that's now front and center. No one's saying, no, America's the best. And the second is transparency in the internet. So on the cover of the Boston Globe and whatever are the uh, adjusted cardiac mortality scores for every hospital in Boston. That would have been unthinkable eight years ago. Uh, a third is the rise of the baby boomers and uh, consumers of care going from passive consumers, whatever the person tells me I will accept, to I know more about the disease than you do, and I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Four is the, the reimbursement revolution. So October 1, 2008 is a watershed date when CMS started to move from pay for volume to pay for value. Pay for volume to pay for value. So there are now 27 never events that the National Quality Forum has, have identified that should never occur in a hospital, like getting an acquired infection or a patient fall. And the incremental cost of that extra stay, you get paid zero, which is a good thing. That's just, that's going to, that'll be a tsunami. Um, it, you know, this all helps you guys, I would argue. Another thing is H caps. Do you know what an H cap is? Okay. Mandatory patient satisfaction reporting, hospital consumer attitude patient preference survey. So as a Medicare beneficiary now, I'm proud to say, if I'd have, have uh, the hip replacement that I had eight years ago when I wasn't a Medicare beneficiary, I couldn't choose between Sharp and Scripps and Kaiser and UCSD and San Diego about how people felt about their experience. Now I can go on the internet one place because every Medicare patient upon discharge has to give you that information. So if you can improve the patient experience, you're going to drive value. Very big megatrend. CMS is a completely different organization under Don Berwick, and who may not last much longer. But uh, don't think of it just as a payment system. It has a center for innovation. It's doing amazing pilot work. And Michael talked about this earlier. It's a, a source of great new knowledge and ideas. Sustainability and green is about to become mainstream. Hospitals are driving millions of dollars out of their cost base by energy reduction, toxic waste reduction, and again, an area where you could work. What does that mean for you? Do those trends mean for you, I think? There's a new model of care called the triple aim. The triple aim. And it's populate, think of a triangle. Population health, not individual patients through the door, uh, the patient experience, and reducing cost per capita. And the mechanism for doing that is are called accountable healthcare organizations, H ACOs, 
which will be new models, new legal models of doctors and hospitals, PAs can play a huge role in this, uh, these ACOs, and they will start to take over. Because we have two ways of cutting costs out of the system is usually the salami approach, you know, cut every doctor by 10% or every hospital by 15% or do something more intelligent, which is to give, more like Canada, a defined amount of dollars to a new organization which PAs can play a prominent role to do those three things. So I think those are really huge. I would avoid, I would continue to avoid uh, the ideological debates. We're more polarized than we've ever been in my lifetime. And so you guys are staying out of that. Uh, that's a good thing. Second thing I would say is get really involved in quality improvement. Understand the methodology and the research about quality improvement. I would have it in every curriculum and every PA program in the country. I would know all about Institute for Healthcare Improvement. They give it all away. It's all free. But it's a whole different way of looking at problems. Small sample size, small test of change, change as you go, not randomized trials over 10-year period. I would really continue, as you did last night, put the patient voice first. Put the patient in the center of the circle. And if you can talk about what you do from the standpoint of the patient perspective, you'll win. And too many of the other arguments get lost. Uh, if you can do research and cost reduction, that reduce cost per capita of care, that's a win. So I, for example, Mary, would love to see, if you're not already doing it, and my, that's my last point, um, someone doing, you've been doing hospitalists at uh, Yale New Haven Hospital? for X years. Well, how a la the British Columbia question, you said one of the motivations versus physicians, Ruth, what's that relative cost? And how does that go to the bottom line? Because if you can start showing the cost effectiveness of PAs in these different settings, as opposed to physicians or other practice models, you'll get CEOs to want, you know, to become indispensable. You'll change policy in your states and you'll help with playing major roles in accountable care organizations. So those are just some thoughts that I have for you. Thanks.